Hello, and welcome to this edition of Advice Worth Keeping, KPMG's podcast series in which we interview KPMG leadership and subject matter experts, as well as third-party and client executives and thought leaders on key global business, socioeconomic, and geopolitical market trends and topics. My name is Stan Lapique, the lead market research and thought leadership effort for the KPMG Global Management Consulting Practice, and I'm your host for this podcast series. So I'm pleased to have back with us again here today, Mr. Caleb Quirin. Caleb is a member of the U.S. firm. He's part of the cybersecurity practice, one of our cybersecurity experts, and here to talk today about the business side of security and computing. So what we want to talk about specifically are the business opportunities for serverless computing. I think I know what serverless computing meets, Caleb, familiar with cloud computing and the concept of platform as a service, but for myself, but as well as our listeners, what is serverless computing? Is it something that's new? Is it something that's different? But before we get into the benefits overall and the security benefits and risks, what is serverless computing? Hey, Dan, thanks for having me on the show again. So serverless computing, to maybe best explain that, I'll take us through a couple steps to maybe illustrate hopefully pretty clearly what it means. (laughs) We all recall, say, 15 or 20 years ago, when we built an application, we would maybe procure space in a co-location center, the big data centers, and we would buy a bunch of servers, mount them in the racks, and then hopefully not too far down the line, we would be able to tell the operations people to deploy code there. That was the past. And then over the preceding subsequent years, we've seen the transition to the cloud where we don't by default, go put new applications that run our businesses in data centers as much. And we go ask the big cloud providers for virtual machines in their environment. But it's the same kind of model where you say, I need this type of server, this application. And I'm just going to do it with those cloud providers instead of doing it in the data center that I used to have to stand up and manage. In that transition, we're responsible for less of the work required to just run the darn code. So this is an extension of that exact same pattern where in the past we used to have to have the physical real estate and the, and the infrastructure and the air conditioning and all those great things. And we shaved off a bunch of that and outsourced that to people who provide those cloud computing services. Well, now we're going to actually take it a step further and say, I don't want a server anymore. I don't want the headache of managing those virtual machines. All I really want, all my business needs at the end of the day is just for some code to be executed within my application. So serverless computing is going to these large cloud providers for the most part who offer these services and saying, here's a snippet or a a chunk of code that I need to run when X happens. And the cloud providers offer this serverless service these days where you're only paying upon execution of those bits of code. Instead of having to maintain and manage that infrastructure of those servers, you're just running code, and you only get billed for running the code however many times per month. It's usually pretty competitively priced. It's not an expensive offering compared to the prior way of doing business. And then that has huge implications for our staffing and how we build these applications that run our businesses. So that was a whole lot. I mean, did I do a pretty fair job at explaining what service is, Sam? Yeah, no, you did. And I think that just highlights the wonders of where organizations are at today in terms of their ability really to tap in to near limitless computing power without all of the overhead and challenges that they had historically. So while it may not be good news for the historical data center operator, I think for those that are really just looking to gain the benefits of a significant computing power without having to do 
the level of work to get to that that they had to historically. This is more good news. So you've hit upon this a little bit in terms of some of the business benefits, but are there additional ones that we're seeing today that maybe are more of a benefit or different benefits, or is this more just an incremental improvement of the ability of organizations to tap into server capabilities without the historical baggage associated with it? Are there more benefits you'd like to cite? For sure, yeah. And I think baggage is not a bad analogy because in the DevOps world that I think a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with these days, it's all about reducing friction. How fast we can deliver value to our users, that transition of getting our code into production is often a little bit slower the more infrastructure we have to run and manage, and it can make it harder to get code out fast. I'm oversimplifying, but for the purposes of the conversation now, I think it's fair. So that when we have less in between our code and our users, the infrastructure layer is gone, right, because we're in a serverless environment. That allows us to deliver that value very fast. It has increased what we call development velocity, meaning our code gets out faster in shorter bursts, which is really what our users want and the business demands. The reason we're talking about it today is that it's early, but we want to put it on people's radar so that they can transition into it and not fall behind competitively because this is something where I believe it will become the default, but it's just a matter of when, not if. That's why we want to talk about it today. The other benefit, if I wasn't clear enough earlier, is that there's just simply less to manage, which has implications for our staffing and the types of skill sets we hire. There's just certain skill sets will be less valuable. They'll transition to other things that they always do, but the traditional infrastructure maintenance people where you have to maybe in the past deploy your server to a data center, that will probably transition into other skill sets as we turn to more of a serverless by default approach to getting code out there. So Kaylee, we've hit upon the benefits of serverless computing. Certainly, I'm sure there are some risks from a security standpoint, but also some benefits. I know historically there was a lot of concern amongst organizations in the early days of the cloud about putting their sensitive information somewhere else in the cloud. Perhaps it's more vulnerable. My thought on that was that often organizations did not do a particularly good job themselves with security and cybersecurity. Therefore, it's very possible that a third party, even in the cloud, do a better job. But from your perspective, what are some of the security benefits as well as the risks of serverless computing? Yeah, so like a lot of our conversations, Dan, I have to caveat that we'll hit the tip of the iceberg here. There's a lot to dive into in that question, but I'll touch on a couple of really important ones. I think the benefits from a security perspective are pretty exciting. One big example is the capability and information security that we call vulnerability management. Vulnerability management, for those who aren't very familiar, usually looks like this to an organization. You procure the services of a scanner. The scanning tool will go run around your infrastructure, as it were, and come back on some frequency with a list of vulnerabilities that live across the infrastructure in your environment. Some organizations do that once a month, maybe once a quarter, once a week, or even faster would be great. But anywhere along that spectrum, what that means for you and your staff is that you have work coming in the door that you have to go assign to get remediated, right? Everything on that list, which could be hundreds or thousands or more of individual vulnerabilities that keep people up at night, that's a constant battle. The ebb and tide of these vulns coming in is not really something that, to be honest, we love doing. We would much rather be doing other things with our time and our staff, and maybe we can invest that resources in other things like funding innovation if we had the opportunity. One of the great things about serverless is that I don't want to give the impression that all risk goes away, but certainly that layer of infrastructure that you were scanning in vulnerability management, it doesn't exist. 
there's no infrastructure for you to scan that belongs to you anymore. It's just the cloud provider's environment. So vulnerability management will change dramatically in the future as we shift towards serverless, which I think a lot of people would celebrate. You no longer have as many of these moments where the scary words like shell shock or heart bleed or poodle, any of those things that semi-regularly come across the news and keep our executives up at night because they wonder if they're exposed, you will have less of those that you were exposed to in a serverless first environment. The risk you asked about that is when we go serverless first, we don't have as much of a monolithic approach to building software. We kind of break everything up into little functions, as it were. When we break things down into more pieces to do the same job of the application, that tends to increase complexity. And complexity stand, as you know, is where sometimes unexpected behaviors hide. And I guess at the end of the day, that means risk. So it's a balancing act. But at the end of the day, the net net is that serverless is likely to be a net gain for the business in deployment velocity, risk reduction. Okay, so it sounds like for organizations getting more aggressive about pursuing a serverless computing strategy, they really need to make sure from the risk standpoint that they understand those risks and they have a checklist of what they are and they're preparing for them in advance. And I'm guessing if a center would like a thorough checklist, that would be something you and your team could help them with just to make sure they're understanding these risks before they get ahead of themselves pursuing the business benefits. Yeah, for sure. This, like I said earlier in our conversation, it's still early days. I don't want to alarm anybody. The goal of these conversations when you and I get together, Stan, at least from my perspective, is to help put important topics on the radar of leadership so that they can begin at the right pace moving down these paths that are, from our perspective, kind of obligatory. You have to answer this question. It's just how and and how soon. So what we would suggest or start thinking about or start socializing ideas around how do we get talent who understand this new way of doing business? Because it's not everywhere. It's, it's not a common thing for people to be really good at this yet. So what is the strategy on talent? What does it mean for the way we procure services? There's a lot of things to consider. And I guess what we're saying then is to consider a plan to your point about the checklist and what gets done when and prioritize it for the business so that you and your enterprise can remain competitive and really answer the demands that users and stakeholders and maybe shareholders require. That's what we would ask. And if anybody needs support, we're happy to suggest uh, the things that we believe will enable that. Okay, Caleb. Well, to wrap up, so you started to answer this question already. What should our listeners do, particularly if they're on the business side of the house? So you articulated the need to make sure you have the right talent in place, put together a checklist of things you need to get done. Do you typically see that organizations are building a formal business case and looking for a certain ROI with serverless computing? Or is it one of those things that it's just intuitive that there's benefit there and that you should pursue its usage judiciously, taking into account, for example, some of the security risks. In addition to what you've already articulated, what should our listeners be doing around this once they get off this podcast today? In addition to the socialization with the rest of the organization that we talked about, I think a concrete next step that folks might put on the calendar for maybe the quarter ahead might be something like what I'm going to call a minimum viable product. Some people might say, let's do a proof of concept. I like minimum viable product a little bit better because proof of concepts sometimes are the things that you declare done and move on and you forget about. But minimum viable product suggests that it's the first of many and you're going to keep building in that area. Maybe pivot in the right direction with what you learn along the way. So what I would suggest is an organization put that on the roadmap for sometime in the pretty near future where a certain group is tasked with a certain goal around 
becoming proficient in what it means to do serverless computing and building maybe a mini app as a minimum viable product. And then once we have that success behind us and the learnings, we would recommend you do is use those learnings and propagate that across the organization in a rolled out plan where you might have those folks who are involved in the first minimum viable product, take those folks out, pluck them, and put them on the next teams where you'd like to see this knowledge percolate through the organization. So that's a way to accelerate the drive down this path. Okay, Caleb. Well, as usual, great stuff. I think you've highlighted some of the significant benefits of serverless computing, but also how an organization should be approaching its adoption and expansion in a way that does address some important security needs. Not that necessarily means that the business benefits are lessened, but as with many things, or I guess with everything uh, related to the use of computing, there is a cybersecurity dimension that really has to be addressed. Thanks for both highlighting the benefits as well as some of the risks and how to overcome them. Thanks for your time today here on Vice Worth Keeping. My pleasure, Stan. I look forward to our next conversation. And you can find the links to the items you referenced in the show today below the podcast. If you're online, of course, the URL for that is kpmg.com slash US slash podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for your participation.